0: These are life lessons that can be applied to politics, business, uh, because I'm a business person now. We have to be compassionate as conservatives, show that we care what people are going through. When we do that, uh, our policy prescriptions can be very, very meaningful for people. Our solution to everything is more taxes. Uh, which uh, also degrades the standard of living for the average Canadian. Rights uh, are fine if I agree with you, but if I disagree with you, you have no rights. That's that's what we're veering towards. His whole mission, Pierre says, is, I wanna give power back to you. It's about more power, more decision-making, more freedom for you. And I think that's a very powerful message.
1: Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an exciting, amazing guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is a committed champion of freedom, free expression, and free enterprise. He is a former minister in the Harper federal government here in Canada and in the Harris government in the province of Ontario. During his time in government, this gentleman has served as both the Minister of Health and the Minister of Industry, and he has played a leading role in helping Canada's economy roar forward into the 21st century after the most significant recession we'd had since the 1930s. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Tony Clement. Welcome to the show, Tony.
0: Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you. I feel like Elvis has entered the building or something.
1: (laughs) He sure has. Well, really glad to have you here, my friend.
0: For sure. No, it's great. A great
1: pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. It's great to be on your show, for sure. Uh, My pleasure, my friend. We're living in interesting times, aren't we? We're living in times that are unprecedented, certainly in our lifetimes. And there's been definitely an impact, an impact. Uh, here in the Free West and in our country of Canada on our freedom. And I wanted to bring you on the show because while this show is about thought leadership, it is about business, and we're going to spend a bit of time on that, it's also a show that champions freedom, free expression, and free enterprise. And the people that listen to the show understand that without those underpinning our society, they can't create the success that they want to create in their lives and in their businesses. So before we can get into that, though, Tony, why don't you give us your backstory first of all? How'd you get to be involved in politics in the first place?
0: Well, uh, Nikki, I'm an immigrant to this country, uh, Canada, and uh, I was born in the UK. My my uh, dad was a Greek Cypriot, and my mother's uh, family uh, hailed from the Middle East, actually, from uh, Aleppo in Syria. Wow! And uh, uh, then uh, they uh, they were kind of a cosmopolitan family, and my grandmother was uh, educated by Coptic nuns in Egypt and all all sorts of things. Uh, But I was born in Manchester, and uh, my family, seeking a better life, moved to Canada, and uh, initially Hamilton, then Toronto. And um, I got involved in politics at at an early age, 14 or 15 years years old. Uh, There was a provincial election going on in Ontario in 1975, I guess, and I got involved in that. And from there, I just sort of blossomed into a political animal. I, I uh, At a time, you talk about freedom. At a time, uh, those of us who were observing politics and get, getting sort of growing up in politics, uh, that was the time of Pierre Elliott Trudeau uh, yeah. being the uh, prime minister of Canada. But more importantly, worldwide, uh, it looked like freedom was on the run, like uh, these communistic regimes were taking over in Asia and Africa, Vietnam. Uh, Mozambique, uh, Angola, Laos, Cambodia, etc. And, and so it, it did not look good for democracy and freedom in those times. And then all of a sudden, uh, there these uh, uh, champions of freedom, uh, Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan, Helmut Kohl in Germany, uh, came forward. And uh, then it was a time of Uh, tumultuous change in Europe with the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989. So that was kind of the context in which I became who I was politically, which was a a person who believed in freedom of choice, who believed in free markets, who believed that uh, more decisions made by individuals was better than government making all the decisions in our lives. And that's what uh, sort of compelled me to get involved in politics as I did. So I started out as a volunteer. I Became president of the Ontario PC Party. I then ran uh, for office and, and won, and uh, became a member of the Ontario Legislature, and then in the in the cabinet of the Conservative government at the time. And um, then, uh, when change was needed in in Ottawa federally, uh, I became a, a part of that movement as well, and uh, happily served as a member of Parliament for almost fourteen years. And. 10 of those years and in, in the, uh, Stephen Harper cabinet. So, yeah, I, I think it's an important question. And now, uh, of course these issues, much as we thought they went away with the collapse of communism, uh, they didn't go away. And, uh, and indeed, uh, uh, the era of big government seems to be back. And, uh, already we're seeing a reaction to that amongst younger people, millennials and Gen Zers, and, uh, I think that's uh, I think we're going to see more reaction to that in the future as well,
1: so I had no idea that you um, were an immigrant to Canada, and I had no idea that your roots are in the Middle East because I'm from Iran myself originally. My family came here when I was a teenager, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, we certainly hail from the similar parts of the world that that's pretty cool uh, and, it is you know, I remember the time of the Harris government being elected i remember watching a debate between uh, mike harris and the uh, then ndp premier of ontario bob ray and 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 i was i was listening to it and bob was uh, an articulate well-spoken man who spoke in complete sentences and paragraphs and well to put it charitably mike wasn't let's just leave it at that but mike spoke earnestly and from the heart and he, he, he spoke about issues that mattered. And although I could understand what Bob Ray was saying more readily than I could understand what Mike was saying, what Mike was saying had the power of truth to it, had the ring of freedom associated with it. And I, I want to just speak to you as someone who was part of that revolution, part of that incredible turnaround of events, because the NDP had won quite a few seats in the 1990 election, and the Conservative Party was reduced to a really small shell of itself. Um, very small, yeah. yeah. How, how was it that your message was able to capture people's imagination back then?
0: Yeah, it's very interesting because we, we uh, as a party, we went from 20 seats in the Ontario legislature to first place. We went from third to first in one election cycle, which had only happened once before in Ontario history, so it was a big shakeup, uh, and everyone assumed that the Liberals were going to gain government after Bob Ray's government collapsed. But it was not to be, and I think it was. I think it's as you say, part of it was Mike Harris talking to the issues that people cared about. That uh, uh, that Ontario's tax taxes had been raised 22 times under the Ray government. That um, our welfare rates were higher than Newfoundland's. Uh, you know th- th- this was a this is a proud province, Ontario. it's it's always seen as the economic leader for Canada. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, things were not so rosy, and things were not looking rosy for the future. So I think I think Mike Harris was able to attach uh, to that concern that people had about their economic future and their economic standing. And say no. We we need a bit of a shakeup here. We called it the common sense revolution. Yes, there was revolution in the title, but there was also common sense in the title, and it was a great way to balance it off. That you know, because revolutions can be scary. Let's face it. Uh, you know, coming from Iran. Oh yeah. Uh, that revolutions <laughs> can be scary. So we didn't want to scare people by saying we need a revolution. We said no. This is a common sense revolution. This is this is uh, getting back to common sense government again, and. Uh, it, it definitely found its audience, particularly in the suburbs of Toronto uh, and Ottawa and other places like that, and and we were able to to form a majority government. So uh, yes, I, I think you you hit the nail on the head, and and that's always the challenge for conservative governments when concert. And, I, and this is something I believe, and I've said this for many different places, including at the cabinet table, when the can when um, small C conservatives can attach themselves to the middle class, uh, to the hopes and aspirations of people who are striving, who want to do better for their kids, uh, who want to make sure that uh, they not only have economic stability for themselves, but that there is a better life for their kids and their grandkids. Uh, if, if conservative uh, politicians can speak to that, uh, then that is a, that is a way to, to get electoral victory. If they, if they are detached from that, that's when the problems start for them. So, I mean, we all have kryptonite. I, 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 it's another saying of mine, you know, what are the things that weaken and, and crush uh, political movement? Well, for uh, for the NDP, it could be uh, self-righteousness. For liberals, it might be entitlement. Uh, <laughs> for conser- conservatives, it might be nasty. Oh, they're nasty. They, they, they're nasty. They don't understand what you're going through. They're nasty. So that's the thing we have to, we have to be compassionate as conservatives. Uh, we have to uh, show that we care what people are going through. Uh, and when we do that, uh, our policy prescriptions can be very, very meaningful for people. What you just shared
1: with us really is a pillar of what we call thought leadership, okay? So let me draw a distinction for you between an expert and a thought leader. An expert is someone who knows something in their area of expertise, right? There's a lot of people who are experts. A thought leader, though, is someone who's known for knowing something in their area of expertise. And one of the keys to becoming a thought leader is messaging. Your message needs to be One that is aimed at a group of people with a need, with a problem, with an acute problem, a 10 out of 10 problem that they must solve. In 1995, in the province of Ontario, the people of Ontario had lived under their first NDP government, and that had become an acute problem for them. They didn't like the government that the NDP was giving them. Taxes were raised. You know, traditional moors were being Mocked and ridiculed, and you had as uh, the minister of finance a fellow that was whose nickname was Pink Floyd Lauren. I remember Floyd him, L- Floyd yeah, Lauren. Yeah, That's yeah. right, Pink Floyd, Floyd. Lauren. And 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 this fellow, you know, he looked the part of a sober individual, but he was really pretty radical in some of the things that he wanted to do from a spending point of view. So Mike Harris and the Conservative Party understood their target market. They understood the pain they were feeling. They understood the itch they wanted to scratch. They crafted a message and you were part of that, a message that spoke to that pain and promised to solve it. They had specific prescriptions of exactly what they were going to do. And then here's the best part in business. You got to ask for the sale. They asked for your votes. So the party said, vote for us. And it was incredible because in 1990, I, I was away at, at university in the United States, so I didn't I didn't get to vote oh. in that election. Back in those days, we didn't have mail in voting, and I always used to say, "That's not my fault." The NDP got elected, you know, I had nothing to do with it. But as I was back, in on well, you know,
0: well, you know, you know, you mentioned the 1990 election, uh, and uh, uh, Nikki, uh, I was a campaign manager in that election for oh, yeah. our candidate in High Park, Swansea. His name was Yuri He's a great Ukrainian-Canadian. He's actually in Ukraine right now. I actually talked to him. Uh, He's been living through all the bombardments and whatnot. But at the time, he was the Ontario PC candidate in High Park, Swansea. And uh, I I was his campaign manager. And I remember knocking on doors with Yuri. And these were, at the time, $300,000 houses in, in High Park, West Toronto. Now they'd be what two million, three million, who knows? But uh, yes. at the time they were three hundred thousand, and um, so they're fairly well healed people. And i go to the door, and people would say, "Well, I'm I'm voting NDP this time," and I would say, "You, you realize the NDP are going to tax rich people like you? Uh, oh, I'm not rich. They're going to tax the They're going to tax the rich people. They're not going to. I'm not rich. They're going to tax other people." And I'm thinking you've got a $300,000 house in West Toronto. The, the NDP are going to consider you rich, you know? Uh, yeah. but that, you know, that was one of the cognitive dissidents of the time that, uh, everybody thought that somebody else was going to get dinged and not themselves. But when you had 22 tax hikes in in four years, everybody got dinged Everybody and, got uh, and, and their, their standard of living suffered accordingly. So yeah, that's, that was the kind of the perfect storm that allowed for some new thinking. And, uh, you know, we tried to, you know, Mike Harris was a a determined leader. He taught thought leader. He 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 learned from people in Alberta and other other parts of the world about this emerging trend towards uh you know having a different kind of government that was uh that sure. was uh definitely deferential to the public. We we cut the number of politicians by 30 percent. That was I part remember of that. Platform. That was amazing. You know, and that one of our photo ops was in front i think it was the first photo op of the election campaign was a flatbed truck with 30 chairs in it rolling away saying we're cutting those 30 seats from the ontario legislature we'll have fewer politicians and we'll cut their gold-plated pension uh, as well i remember so that too. you know so this was pre-populated popular is called populism now yes. this was pre-populism but it was speaking to the, the idea that there was a disconnect between the political class and the average person. And we, we wanted to reconnect those again. And uh, I think the same kinds of debates are happening right now, Nikki. And uh, uh, it's, it's never a good thing when the public sees the political class as off in their own world. And, you know, whatever's good for me, uh, you don't get to, it's not good for thee, or vice versa. And and uh, I think that that's that's why we're having these uh, protests and debates and so on, absolutely. because people don't think that the, that anybody's in their corner.
1: And I absolutely want to get to that. But let's let's you know, the point you made yeah. was a powerful one about the, the, the people hearing a message and saying, oh, it's not going to apply to me. But then they got mugged by reality. And I remember when Mike Harris came out with the Common Sense Revolution platform, a lot of the thinking and the ideas uh, that he had were original, but there was a bunch of thinking and ideas that were borrowed from Newt Gingrich in the United States right. with a contract with America, which was another right. very powerful populist conservative political movement that overthrew 40 years of democratic control of the U.S. Congress. But What Mike Harris was able to do because of a parliamentary system that Newt wasn't able to do in the U.S. to the same extent, was he was able to push his policies through. And there were two wonderful uh, election cycles in which conservative governance was the order of the day in Ontario. But then you moved on from provincial politics and you got involved in federal politics. We'd had a situation where uh, Jean Chrétien had been the prime minister of Canada and he and his finance minister, Paul Martin, had at least somewhat done a decent job of reducing the debt and and reducing spending and so on and so forth. But when Chrétien left and Paul Martin came in, some of that seemed to change. Paul Martin seemed to want to, uh, uh, I don't know, cave to the left side of his party because he was seen as the right winger in, 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 in the Liberal Party. And he started putting some policies together, which weren't working. And that's when yourself and Stephen Harper decided to bring the similar type of powerful conservative messaging
0: into federal policies. Could you take us through that for a little bit? Because I think that's instructive right. as well. Well, you know, Jean Chrétien came in on a wave of change himself in 1993, uh, after the collapse of the uh, progressive conservative government. And, uh, and that uh, led to four straight election wins for the liberal prime minister, but by the time uh, in the early two thousands, uh, you know, uh, there was this civil war within the Liberal Party between Kretchen and his chief lieutenant, Paul Martin, as you mentioned. And Paul Martin basically uh, kind of shabbily ejected Kretchen from the prime ministership, uh, which le- you know led to bad feeling within that governing party. And then Martin, once he had the the golden chalice of power didn't know what to do with it his his nickname became mr dithers i don't know if you remember that but uh, uh, you know uh, and i i had heard stories of interminable cabinet meetings where they argued and argued and argued and argued and never came up with a decision on on important matters of public policy it's, you talk about thought leaders but you've got to be a doer as well right you've got to at some point make a decision and uh, that was not a hallmark of the martin government so There was uh, winds of change happening again. Uh, Stephen Harper, unknown quantity at the time, uh, you know, uh, a Western conservative. And uh, believe me, they tried to demonize him for that. Uh, But he (laughs) here's 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 the thing. Here's the thing. He not only had ideas how to change government and the country for the better. But he had an architecture of decision making and what does that mean exactly? It means that he not only knew what he wanted to do, he knew which levers he needed to pull in government to actually get it done. And that's what I look for in leader now. Anybody you know a lot of people have great ideas, Nikki, but who has the architecture necessary to actually get things done in government because it's very difficult to move the battleship around. Uh, you know, and uh, and Harper knew how to do that. Uh, he's probably the most extraordinary guy I've, I've ever met in politics and worked with in politics. Let's put it that way. And um, so, yeah, it took a couple of tries, but he was uh, uh, he was able to win. And, and I and I ran under his banner. I was I ran for the leadership uh, of the party against him. Uh, there was only three of us in the leadership uh, in two in two thousand and four. Myself, Belinda Stronick. Yeah, I you may remember, remember that name. Yes, and much. myself, and I and I was uh, I was Cokes. dead last out of those three. But uh, Harper took a liking to me, and um, you know he encouraged me to run in uh, Perry Sound Muskoka, my Ontario riding, and uh, I, I won by twenty eight votes in the two thousand and six election which was 0.01%. It was the smallest margin in that parliament, but I won, you know, a win is a win. And uh, I defeated the sitting uh, agriculture minister of the outgoing liberal government. And we formed a government. I was made minister of health because I had had that position in Ontario, in the government of Ontario. And he wanted people who had governing experience uh, where he could find it. So Jim Flaherty, who was my colleague, in the Ontario Legislature, yeah. was finance minister in Ontario, Ed became finance minister. He, he was a great Fe- man. Federally, John Baird, uh, who had positions of authority in Ontario. He became uh, the uh, uh, he became the uh, Treasury Board president uh, initially. He had many other portfolios after that. So he was looking for people who actually had experience in governing to be on his front bench, which I thought was quite smart of him. Uh, there were others who didn't, but they, they learned quickly enough. And, uh, yeah, we, we had a, we had a, again, a platform that was simple to digest. We had uh, identifiable goals about ma- making sure there was less corruption, more accountability, uh, that we were going to make some headway in healthcare uh, provision. I was responsible for that. Uh, and, uh, it was a simple enough platform to explain. And it was also a platform that was doable to actually execute when we were in government. So, uh, you know, simple things like cutting the uh, the GST by two points, yeah. you know, uh, you know, uh, the economists say, oh, that's a lousy policy. The economists would say uh, you should you should cut income taxes. It's a better, more just way. Cutting the sales tax is unjust. But you know what people think? People think I actually can see the cut in the sales tax. I actually don't feel the cut in the income tax. So for them, it was a proof point that we were serious about tax cutting because they they know every politician promises to cut your taxes. Very few actually do it you know, actually when they get it, there. Yeah. Uh, and, and so ours was, it was definable, it was executable, uh, it was measurable, it was accountable, these kinds of things. And uh, I think that was the beauty of that platform for Stephen Harper in 2006.
1: It was a fantastic platform. He did a great job from a messaging point of view, and he built a powerful brand for himself uh, and for the Conservative Party as being the party for the common person, being the party for families, and being the party that cared about kitchen table type issues. Um, I thought that he did a really, really good job. And then I'll just tell you my opinion. In 2015, when... you know, he ended up losing that election. Um, I don't think he took uh, Justin Trudeau seriously enough. I don't think he took the risk that this guy posed with some of the policy prescriptions he brought forward seriously enough, because if he had the Stephen uh, Harper of the 2006 election, the 2011 election would have demolished this guy. But yeah, he wasn't, he was just thinking, I'm going to cruise and I'm going to win. And it, it, it was starting to become obvious that that wasn't the case. Uh, it wasn't going to be as an easy of an election and that's too bad. And I think that's an abject lesson for our country, as well as the conservative party. Never, ever, ever underestimate, uh, your opponents and their messaging, the power of their messaging. He had, a the, 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 the key to his victory, in my opinion, was when he said he was going to bring freedom in one small section of society and he was going to make marijuana use, uh, decriminalized. And <laughs> and he followed through on that. And there was a yep. lot of people who, you know, weren't maybe necessarily uh, like, you know, potheads or whatever, but they just thought it was ridiculous that marijuana was right, was criminalized uh, in terms of its use. And I think, you, you know, I wish Harper at that time and said, you know what, I was wrong on this issue mid campaign we're going to do the same thing, but we're going to do it smarter than Justin's going to do it because the way Justin it has just led to all kinds of uh, of nasty issues. You know, people are smoking marijuana in front of children in parks. Like I I took my kids out at that time and that sort of thing. And that's why the conservatives lost. And unfortunately that saddled us with the man who, in my opinion, is the most tyrannical leader we've ever had in Canada. That's Justin Trudeau. And the man who represents a clear and present danger to the state of freedom in the, in, in the free world. And I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that statement, because I know that's a pretty bold and controversial statement on my part.
0: Yeah, I know. Thank you for all that. I, I, let me say a couple of things. First of all, on your first point, uh, you know, my adage is you run scared or you run stupid. Uh, So you always have to run really, really hard and uh, you can never take your opponent for granted. And I think there was was a little bit of that with uh, Justin Trudeau in the 2015 campaign. Uh, Secondly, I think you're bang on 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 marijuana. I think it was emblematic of uh, it it heightened uh, Trudeau's uh, uh, narrative that we need a generational change in government. That, you know, these old guys don't get it. We get it. Uh, and, you know, what I noticed in my writing, my writing, uh, Perry San Muskoka, you know, uh, despite all the rich cottages there, the actual people who live and work there <laughs> year round, they're not rich. Okay. Uh, you know, they're, they're hand to mouth or they're seasonal employment or what have you. And, uh, you know, a lot of them work in uh, construction and uh, uh, building trades and so on, maybe making your deck bigger or building new cottages or that kind of thing.
1: And I, you know,
0: I, I know my, I knew my right pretty well I'm thinking, holy smokes, like a lot of these guys, they smoke a lot of marijuana, <laughs> you know, do. before, during, and after rebuilding your deck, uh, you know, and uh, <laughs> I thought I'm not going to talk a lot about our opposition to marijuana legalization in, in my local election. So I, I just sort of didn't, and, you know, I, I said, well, the important issues of the day are economic and here's where i stand on the economic issues i kind of bridged rather than talk <laughs> about marijuana legalization and it, it, it really pissed off the liberal candidate at the time she uh, she was always trying to goad me into talking about marijuana and i just wouldn't do it right you know because uh, yeah. i knew my i knew my people but uh um, yeah and that was the trojan horse uh, that uh, got him i think that was a not the only reason i think there's a lot of other things that went wrong. Uh, In that campaign, but that certainly was part of it. So where are we now? We're with a big part of it, Tony. I would argue a big part of it. Yeah, fair, fair, fair deal, fair deal. So you know, your question uh, is, where are we now? And we're we're with a, uh, quite frankly, uh, a leader, a prime minister who is not fit for purpose right now. We have huge economic issues. The, uh, the uh, OECD, which is the club of 21 rich countries in the world, produced a bar graph which showed that our projected growth of GDP in this country is going to be 21st out of 21 countries in the, in, uh, in the years ahead. They actually reprinted printed it in the budget, which I've, I found peculiar, but at least they were telling the truth. Hey, we've got a great budget. By the way, we're dead last in, in economic growth. And um, Christia Freeland and Justin Trudeau are making the argument that, well, you know, that's not a fair assessment. we We want people to be happy. we We really shouldn't concern ourselves with economic growth that much. We want people to be happy. Therefore, here's our dental plan and here's our pharmacare plan, and here's our child care plan and and so on. But, you know, you have to pay for these things at some point, and uh, Nikki, you know that. and yeah. uh, that's that's the that's the fundamental conceit of the of the Trudeau government that they like making grandiose statements and announcements, but they're not very good on how to pay for things or how to actually make sure that there's value for money for the taxpayer. And ultimately the end they hurt people. And uh, that's really important because the bills are coming in we're in a, an unsafe world. Uh, Russia, Ukraine is a prime example, not the only example, China and trade and, and supply chains and inflation. and Possibly China uh, housing and Taiwan you think about that China, that could Taiwan, happen exactly housing costs and you know how inflation is hitting our food bills it's an uncertain unsettling time and really this government doesn't have the answers to any of that and uh, and in fact their uh, their uh, focus on it, 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 the environment and uh, climate change while commendable on one level uh, they actually don't have the answers to that either Uh, And uh, the only thing that they have is uh, our solution to everything is more taxes, uh, which uh, also degrades the standard of living for the average Canadian. So we're we're in a I think we're in another inflection point where people are starting to really wonder. And interestingly, younger people more than older people. Under 40s are starting to really question the status quo. And are saying, you know, this is not working for me. I have a, I have a 30, uh, 30-year-old son, 30, yeah. 31 in September. He can't buy a house. There's there's no scenario in which he can buy a house. And, uh, you know. Yeah, that must tick him he's, off. He, he's starting to despair about it all, you know. And uh, he's getting frustrated. And he's looking for people, politicians who are talking about the issue that he most cares about which is housing costs and more more broadly affordability. And so uh, I, th- I think that this is where the Trudeau government is really falling down. I, they, they had a lot of, again, all had no cattle, as they say out West, when it came to the federal budget on, on the affordability issues. But really, uh, when you dissect them, there's really not a lot of there there. And uh, I think that this is ultimately something that uh, people are gonna care about.
1: wholeheartedly do with everything you said, but if I may, Tony, yeah, yeah. I think we need to come back to first principles ahead of all that. This is a liberal democracy that we live in, Canada. We respect people's right to disagree with us, even if we vehemently disagree with what they have to say. Even people with noxious opinions in a liberal democracy should have the right to speak those noxious opinions because otherwise you live in a tyranny. Otherwise you're living in a country where someone gets to choose which opinions are superior to others. A little bit like animal farm uh, by George Orwell of the book, 1984. And our prime minister has shown himself to be a hypocrite on these issues. He's also shown himself to, quite frankly, be displaying some Mussolini-like tendencies. And I, and I, and I really want to get into this with you. I, I'm sorry that it may be an uncomfortable conversation, but I think it's an important one for Canadians to hear. And frankly, freedom-loving people all over the world to hear. When the trucker convoy started making its way from out west, from British Columbia to Ottawa, the prime minister started calling those people white supremacists, bigots, and misogynists. Now, here's an interesting thing. This is a man who has been caught wearing blackface on video and uh, in photographs three times, on three separate instances. I just am kind of thinking, a man who does that and is calling other people racist really needs to shut his mouth, from my perspective. And I speak as a you know light brown Middle Eastern fellow from Iran, right? I wasn't born here, and I don't have any English or, or any European in my background. So kind of it offended me that this guy wore blackface and started telling us you know, what he thinks we should be doing. That's number one. So I think there's hypocrisy and there's racism in this man. Secondly, he said he refused to meet with those people. He refused and all they requested initially was a meeting with the prime minister to air their concerns about the vaccine mandate. Now you could agree with the vaccine mandate, you could disagree with the vaccine mandate, but the job of leadership is to meet with people you disagree with, to help them see that you understand them, even if you're not gonna do what they want to do. And I gotta say that's happened in Canadian history many, many times. You know, his father would have done it. And then thirdly, this man took the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which his father wrote for us. And I gotta tell you, there's an ad I want you to get Pierre to create. And it's, 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 it's Pierre Elliott Trudeau giving the speech, saying why this is an important document, how proud he is, and then we got to show Justin turning it to shreds yeah, yeah, and we and we should have an animation of, P, of Pierre Elliott rolling in his grave over what his yeah, son yeah. did to a signature achievement. This is, this is something that if you're a Canadian and you believe in our system of government, you believe that freedom is good. This should alarm you. And when he decided to call out the emergencies act, which is basically the war measures act and only has ever, ever been invoked during wartime and when the FLQ kidnapped and killed those diplomats over Canadian citizens with little children in bouncy castles in Ottawa. I got to tell you, that's Mussolini-like behavior. And I think every Canadian conservative liberal NDP should be concerned and should not vote for an individual that acts that way. And I want you to address that specifically. And I'm sorry to get so
0: passionate about this, but this really matters to me. No, of course, and as it should... uh... Let let me tell you the tale of two protests, uh, just to show you uh, exactly what your your point of view uh, illustrates. Uh, when I was in government with Stephen Harper, there it's about eleven years ago now. There was mass protests throughout the country uh, on behalf of Indigenous rights. It was called Idle No More. You yep. may remember it. I do. And the focus of that became uh, Indigenous uh, leaders and other protesters. Uh, converging on Ottawa, clogging up the street in front of the Parliament building, uh, surrounding the Prime Minister's office, not allowing anyone to come in or out. Sound familiar? Yeah. And and uh, and uh, that was, I'm not saying it went for three weeks, but it certainly went for several days. Uh, here's how Prime Minister Harper reacted to that. He called a meeting with the organizers. He dragged half of his cabinet to the meeting. I was I was part of that. We had a meeting with uh, the head of the uh, Assembly of First Nations, uh, the head of the BC First Nations. Her name was Jody Wilson-Raybould. That may that name may ring a bell. Oh yeah, Rings she was <laughs> she was invited. She was invited to the meeting. A series of uh, Indigenous leaders, while they were banging on the door outside uh, the Prime Minister's office, we had a meeting with them all morning. We sat there and listened as they aired their grievances. We had a little bit of a lunch break. And then all afternoon, we worked on solutions. That's how Stephen Harper dealt with a protest. You can call it a blockade. You can call it a protest, a multi-day. He met with those protesters and tried to come up with solutions. And he dragged half his cabinet with him. Now, compare and contrast to what you just said about Prime Minister Trudeau, who refused to meet with them, called them a bunch of names. As soon as he called them ra- racists and misogynists and goodness knows what, crypto fascists, then then you, he couldn't possibly meet with them. There was no end game that could end the protest with the Prime Minister meeting with them because he'd called them these, these noxious names. I and so a real that, that was, I think, with what he said, though, a real problem.
1: Yeah. of the trucking industry is owned by brown skin families, Punjabi Sikhs, 45%. I'm sorry, they're white supremacists and racists. Excuse my language, Mr. Prime Minister, but please go screw yourself if if you're going to call those people that. That's number one. Number two, they were little kids. I I went to Ottawa. I was in front of the parliament building. I saw three Mm -hmm. bouncy castles with four-year-old children and mothers. The vast majority of people there were women, women with little children asking, like, are you kidding me? This is what scared you? This is what scared you, Mr. Prime Minister? Are you kidding me? Like, that's a problem. Like, Stephen Harper acted like a leader. He was willing to meet with people who disagreed with him, and he was willing to try and find common ground. Justin Trudeau acted like a petulant child, like a Mussolini-style fascist. And I'm sorry, he's the crypto-fascist, maybe not even so crypto with this activity, and then invoking that action, freezing people's bank accounts. That, by the way, it caused a run on the banks. I have a friend who works at the Royal Bank. He, he's going to remain nameless. But he called me two days later and he said that the bank has sent out an internal memo saying that we're not giving any more money out. There's a run on the bank. We need to steady it. This never became public news. But can hmm. you imagine that policy? What, what, what so many people who maybe didn't even donate money to that cause, but said to themselves, wow, they're coming after my money just because I have this political opinion.
0: Well, this is it, Andy. You know, our topic is freedom. And this was such an abridgment of freedom uh, that will go down in the history as a shameful moment for Canada. I really do believe that. Uh, there are Whoa. plenty of ways you could have dealt with the protest uh, within our current laws. Uh, you know, I I personally think the protest went on too long. Uh, but... But uh, and uh, they shouldn't have honked their horns all the time and all those things. Uh, but uh, you know you don't need the invocation of the Emergencies Act, which, as you said, the last time that act was invoked in its uh, pre in its uh, previous form was in 1970 when the FLQ were delivering letter bombs to to English uh, residences in Montreal and kidnapped the deputy premier of Quebec and killed him. And kidnapped the uh, the, uh, the high commissioner for the UK. You know the, these were serious acts of terrorism. There was no, nothing similar to that in in the trucker convoy protest. So so yes, I, I agree with you. Uh, it shows a casualness to. Uh, to, to rights and freedoms uh rights uh, are fine if you if i agree with you but if i disagree with you you have no rights that's that's what we're veering towards and uh you see that in their internet regulation bill as well uh where they're seeking to divide content into content that is acceptable and content that is unacceptable decided by government uh you know uh th- th- this is this is not uh, free and democratic society when you do those sorts of things, quite frankly. And fortunately, fortunately, because've I've been worried about this for six or seven years, you know, when you look at uh, research from six or seven years ago, uh, people you know eighteen to thirty were seemingly fine with uh, the idea that if you were saying something that they viewed as obnoxious, you weren't you weren't allowed to say that. Uh, cancel culture at its worst. Yeah. Now, the uh, what we're finding with the Pierre Polyev campaign is the people that are most vociferous and most emotional about standing for freedom are young people, 20 years old, 25 years old, 30 years old, who feel that their freedom has been abridged. They've seen where this is leading. You know, first we come, we come for the other guys, then they're going to come for me. Uh, and uh, they don't want to live in that kind of society. So I think this is actually a moment of hope. Uh, When I see all these young people coming out to to the rallies and the meet and greets for Pierre Polyev, that to me is a a sign of of hope for the future, actually.
1: I agree with you wholeheartedly. And the reason the young people uh, are the most vociferous opponents of the tyranny of Trudeau uh, is because they've got the most to lose. They've got the longest runway of life left over. Let's face it, you know, uh, men like you and I, I'm 54 years old, you're 60 years old. Uh, what? What's, how much life do we have left? Maybe 30 years, 35 years at the most. And uh, we're in a position that if things get bad enough, there's, we've got options. Other people don't have those options. The young have to stay here and they have to fight. And, and that's why I, believe in what you're doing and what Pierre Polyev is doing so much. And that's why I've done for the first time in my life, I've officially come out and endorsed someone for political office on my show. I've never had a politician on the show. I've never done this before. Uh, And I'll tell you, uh, I didn't ever think I would, but I'm doing it now. I'm officially endorsing Pierre Polyev for prime minister. Not because I don't think there's other good people that are out there that are running. I think there are, but I think he's got the best chance of helping preserve freedom in Canada and his message of making Canada the freest country in the world touched me at heart. I feel like I'm a youngster uh, and I believe that uh, I have a responsibility, not just to myself, but to the next generation, to my sons. I've got a 16 year old and a 14 year old. I want them to live in a free country. And Ronald Reagan once in one of his speeches said You know, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. It doesn't get passed over into the bloodstream. It's got to be nurtured. It's got to be fought for. It's got to be cherished. It's got to be prized. Otherwise, there'll come a day where people will say that, you know, there was a time in this country, the United States, where men and women were once free. But that time is not now. And I think you could just take out the words, the United States, and you could insert Canada. And that applies to the situation we're living in right now. This isn't a normal uh, set of times. This isn't a normal period. This won't. The next election won't be a normal election. It's probably the most consequential election in the history of this country. And if we don't elect the right person to lead our country to freedom, we're screwed. All the things that our forefathers fought for are gonna disappear. Good men and women, mostly men, but some women as well, have fought and died in wars for us. To be free, you know, and we've got memorials all across this great land to the sacrifice that those individuals made. And my family left Iran. We're Christian Iranians. We left Iran to come here to Canada because my father did not want his sons to grow up in a tyranny, Tony. And we cannot allow our sons and daughters to grow up in a tyranny. No way, no how. No way, no how.
0: Well, that was very emotional, Nikki. Thank you for, for sharing that. I, I, I can I can feel how strongly you uh, you feel about these things, and uh, you know we need more of that passion in politics. Uh, you know, uh, there are some people in the political class who are snickering at uh, Pierre for uh, for his freedom message. You know, uh, what you know? Why, why are you, why is he talking about freedom? We have freedom. Uh, they don't have freedom in Ukraine. We have freedom here you know uh, that's conflating first of all that's conflating two different issues we we should be really on is. the side of of ukraine uh, but but secondly you know you never stop striving for rights and freedoms uh, if if you feel that they're uh, that they're under attack uh, just because it's worse somewhere else in the world doesn't make you want to be content with what we have here you have to you have to continue the debate and continue the exchange of views, the free market of ideas that I believe in, that you believe in. We're not going to agree on everything, but let's debate it out. And there are some people who are afraid of that, and they seem to be very afraid of uh, Pierre's message of freedom uh, and uh, are are trying to uh, diminish what he's doing. Uh, well, just because he got 2,000 people out in Kelowna, B.C., that doesn't mean anything. Well, yeah, it means a lot, actually. It means that people are, are voting with their feet and are coming out to hear his message and uh, they, they're they not going to listen to mainstream media if they're cutting, if they're trying to cut uh, Pierre Polyev down. So yeah, I think this is a very important moment and uh, Pierre, uh, you know, I, he's chosen in his moment. Well, I, I guess he didn't know there was going to be a leadership race. None of us did. That was as a result of a caucus vote on the previous leader, but uh, he's, he sees the moment. And uh, I believe uh, Pierre really represents this, this underground view that was not being represented in the halls of Ottawa uh, that people are feeling this, they're feeling it economically on on these uh, these uh, these issues of affordability and so on. but they're also feeling it in their hearts that uh, that now is the time to seize the moment. In a democratic way, I will make that clear for your for your listeners and viewers uh, to to talk about freedom and and to, to gain more of it. And Pierre's point has always has been, and I've I've seen him several times now uh, say this. Look, I I don't want I don't want power for me. My whole his whole mission, he says, uh, Pierre says, is I want to give power back to you. This is not, this campaign, this movement is not about more power for me. It's about more power, more decision-making, more freedom for you. And I think that's a very powerful message. It's a very
1: powerful message, and it's one that we need. We, we, we need someone that we can believe in. We need someone that, that, that's got hope. Listen, uh, I've watched this man for years. I've watched him get up uh, in Parliament and speak out against Justin Trudeau. And he's, he's been the most effective articulate defender of freedom that we've had. And I went to a rally of his uh, in Toronto. I've never gone to a Canadian political uh, rally before. And it was incredible. The, the place was full, uh, you, know, you had young people there. You had older people there. You had people of all nationalities, races, creeds. You had straight people, you had gay people. Uh you, you had everyone and, and every kind of human being out there, every kind of Canadian out there. And what was beautiful about it was that we were all united by one thing, that we believe Canada is a special place. We believe freedom matters. And we, we believe we need to fight for it. And there's people in there that are going, look, there's a lot of politicians who've let us down. Let me be, let me be frank. The, the last conservative leader campaigned as a true blue conservative to get his job. And then when he became the leader of the party, he became liberal light. So that wasn't great. And I'm I'm believing Pierre won't do that. I'm believing Pierre is going to campaign as a freedom lover and he's going to campaign in the the general election as a freedom lover. And he's going to act that way because that's who he's been all his life. But you can understand why a lot of people have a little bit of cynicism towards politicians. And we're living in a time where you got to make sure that you deliver on your promises to the people.
0: Well, and this goes back to my point about the architecture for governing. And, and I, I think Pierre Paliyev, if, if he's successful, will be the first leader we've had since Stephen Harper, who actually knows not only what he wants to do, but how to get it done. And that, that's, a, that's a big advantage uh, that you have if you can do that, because otherwise it's chaos. And uh, nobody, people vote for change, my friend, they don't vote for chaos. No, they sure as heck don't. They sure as heck don't. Um, I'll tell you what, Tony. um,
1: I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. It's been a fantastic conversation. We end off each and every single one of our episodes by asking you as our guest expert to give us what I call your three expert action steps. These are your best pieces of advice for my listener to be able to take their life, uh, their business,
0: our special country of Canada to another level. So what do you say? Well, i I take it very philosophically and say uh, these are life lessons that can be applied to politics, business, because uh, I'm a business person now, uh, and, and life in general. Uh, number one, don't give up. Uh, you know, uh, you've, you're always going to f- face adversity, and it's how you, you suffer through adversity and get to the other side. Uh, it's, it's, all, it's all well when people are throwing rose petals at you, when they're throwing bricks, that's when you find out what you're really made of. So uh, I, I think that's really important. The Second thing is, uh, hope is not a strategy. Uh, and uh, the you know when you when you have goals in mind, and we have goals for our country, we have goals for ourselves. Uh, I of course uh, I, I fall for this sometimes. I always hope that things go my way or the country's way. But you've actually have to be a thought leader. You've got to have the strategy. You know how are you going to get this done? Uh, and and uh, that, that, I think, is incredibly important. And uh, I would just say, uh, you know, have grace in your life. Uh, you know, we don't hear a lot of people talking about grace these days. Uh, but uh, I, I think, you know, people are going through stuff. We've gone through a terrible time with the, with the pandemic. Uh, be understanding. Be compassionate. Uh, you know, we, we talked a lot on your show today about power, which is is important, and politics is important love and compassion are even more important. And uh, Mm -hmm. if you have that in your everyday life, in your business life, in your your social life, in your your political life, I think uh, you'll be a better person. So those are my three.
1: Tony, those are three incredible expert action steps. I absolutely love them. And I'm gonna add a fourth on your behalf. Um, If you're not already a member of the Conservative Party, join and make sure that you're registered so that you can vote for Pierre in the upcoming leadership. I think that's very, very important. Uh, I think we all need to do that. And listen, if you're a liberal or an NDPer and you've never considered voting conservative before, and the idea of it bothers you, but you're even more bothered by how the current government has been abrogating all our freedoms, and you can't see yourself allowing this to continue, uh, I'm going to tell you this hold your nose, go online, register as a conservative.
0: conservative.ca.
1: .ca, don't do it because You're a partisan. Do it because you're a patriot and you love this country and you can't see it. Go down the tubes and become a place that men and women will say, you know, we remember a time where at one point men and women in Canada lived free. But that time is not now. Don't let this happen. This is how important this is. Do whatever you have to do to make this happen. And I'm reaching my hands across the philosophical aisle, as it were to bring in those disgruntled NDP and liberal voters who really understand that what's happening in our country right now cannot be allowed to continue. Let's have you come on board. Maybe you won't be a conservative
0: forever, but maybe just for this season, it's the right thing to do. So let's make it happen. So, and so that's conservative.ca. You're absolutely right. After you've done that, you can download the back uh, podcasts of Nikki's program, and you can and after you've done all of that you can also download my podcast which is called and another thing podcast you can find that uh, wherever you listen to podcasts or go to andanotherthingpodcast.ca
1: I'm going to give that a listen. I haven't done that yet. So I, 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 I'm committing to you that I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm excited to go check out Thank your you. podcast. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's it's going to be great. You're a very articulate, thoughtful man. Thank, Thank you, you for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can get uh, Mr. Pauliev on the show as well. And let's uh, let's get him speaking directly to the audience. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Fantastic. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Tony Clement, please go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com or wherever you happen to listen to this episode, be it iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, Google Play. Until next time, goodbye.
0: This episode has been brought to you by ecircleacademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.